0: Indeed, just as Isaiah 53 reads, that Jesus was our suffering servant. You know, whenever we think of Jesus' suffering, oftentimes we think of him on the cross, right? And yes, he did definitely suffer on the cross. But you see, he didn't just suffer on the cross. He actually suffered a whole bunch before the cross. And I don't even think this really sunk in or hit me until I saw the movie The Passion. You know, The Passion of the Christ is an incredible, uh, descriptive, and moving movie that really just kind of shows what it must have been like 2,000 years ago. And I remember watching this scene. It was like maybe 10 minutes or who knows, maybe it was 30 minutes. It, it felt like an eternity. But they showed the beating of Jesus right before he went to the cross. And it didn't even dawn on me. We talk so much in church and Sunday school as Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus dying on the cross. It didn't even dawn on me that Jesus suffered a whole lot before he even made it to the cross. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a wound that maybe wasn't necessarily physical, maybe didn't leave the kind of scars that he got from the cross and from the beatings. But it's this, it's the wound of apathy. The wound of apathy. See, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to his father. You know, Jesus, by the way, this is not an isolated incident. It's not like we find Jesus praying and it's kind of a rare thing. In fact, the way the Bible describes Jesus, he describes that rather than just preaching, rather than just healing, and all those things that we think of what Jesus did back then, Jesus often got away from the crowds and he often was in solitude and he was in prayer and communion with his father. That's probably how he spent most of his time, not the healing and teaching like we typically think about. But here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying and he's preparing for his arrest, trial, beating and crucifixion that's going to happen the next day it reads this in the Bible. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. you got to imagine, how is Jesus feeling at this point? Look at the way he's praying here. His face is completely to the ground. He's laying it all out. This can only be done Whenever someone is is extremely humble and they're laying completely on the ground. Isaiah refers to Jesus as our suffering servant. Uh, he pleads with the Father to find some other way. He's saying, Lord, some other way. But then he prays, Yet not as I will, but as you will. Also Jesus says, Take this cup from me. What is all that about? Why does he say, Take this cup? You see, in the Old Testament, we find that the cup represents God's wrath. And that's what that movie, before we started the service, that's what that was about. It was clearly describing that here is the cup of God's wrath. You know, we've actually, we don't really talk a whole lot about God's wrath. It's not really dinner conversation. Uh, It's kind of awkward, not very PC. But you know what? We've actually never really been close to God's wrath. Because we have a barrier. We have someone that stands in between us and God's wrath. And that man is Jesus Christ, right? So we've actually never really been close. We don't even really know what it's like. It's actually hard for us to even wrap our minds around what it's got to be like to taste God's wrath. What it's got to be like to be right there. You know, it seems like we take God for granted, It seems like we can just sin so freely, and it's no big deal. We can go do something, ask for the quick forgiveness, and be on our way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls this cheap grace, taking everything that Jesus did for us on the cross, and suffering and the humiliation, and we just reduce it to a license for sin. Even though that we've really never been so close to God's wrath, Jesus, on the other hand, did on the cross. And he knows this, and he knows what it's like. And so that's why he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why he's, he's almost uh, freaking out, if you will. He's, he's experiencing something physical here. Uh, I can imagine Jesus shaking. I can imagine him sweating and uh, feeling so sick that it's like his stomach is flipped upside down. I can imagine Jesus being like this. See, we forget that Jesus is fully human. A lot of times when we talk about Jesus, we talk about, oh, he's God. And if ever you've seen some of those uh, 1970s movies with Jesus Christ, you find that he is this perfectly manicured person with this clean white robe, and it's like this sash that goes across him. And it's like he speaks so peacefully, and he glides almost through the crowds. Well, you know what? That's not the picture that we have of Jesus right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have a very different picture of Jesus here. We have Jesus who is fully human. After all, it's God in flesh. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. He was tempted. He wasn't some sort of ghost, but rather he experienced life and he experienced pain and suffering. See, in the garden, he was emotionally beaten down. He was emotionally wounded here. And really, I think what he wanted from his disciples, was he just simply wanted companionship. He just wanted someone to be there, a friend. Have you ever been through something really difficult where um, if you're alone, it's really, really difficult, and yet when a friend walks in the room, even if they don't say anything, even if they don't um, offer the right words at the right time, even if they just sit there and just are present, how much of a difference that makes. And I think that's what Jesus wanted. I think Jesus just wanted his friends. The story continues. Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, he asks his followers to be with him, to stay awake, for only one hour. And yet, what do they do? They can't even stay awake. They fall asleep. I mean, I recognize, yes, sleep is nice. Sleep is great, actually. I love me a good sleep. Uh, But on the other hand, come on, this is Jesus. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about. He's Lord, Savior, Messiah. He's just asking his disciples to stay awake a little bit. And they can't do it. They try a little bit, but they fall asleep. The story continues. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I love that phrase. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. What a great way to avoid temptation in your own life. Watch. Be on the lookout. Actively be on the lookout. Pray. Rely on God. The story continues. His friends had completely abandoned him. They've fallen asleep. Jesus is going to have to do all this completely by himself. Even on the cross, we find God the Father turns his back on Jesus. He has to do it alone. How could his disciples do this to Jesus? We have Peter. Remember Peter? When Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Peter, previously, in our story, previously, he gets it. He's the guy who knows. He knows Jesus. And he's been there. He's one of the uh, the disciples. He's witnessed all these miracles. He was there at the transfiguration. He's seen all these wonders of God. He knows who Jesus is. And yet, he can't even stay awake. How can he do this? This is... This is the wound of apathy. The wound of apathy. You know, Peter and the disciples are not the only ones with apathy. If we look in our own lives, we find apathy as well. Peter saw Jesus hurting, and Peter didn't care. Have you ever seen someone hurting and just didn't care? Maybe you were too busy to care. Or worse, maybe you were too busy to even notice these things going around around us a friend is lost and does not know Jesus they are separated from God now and maybe for all eternity they're yearning for meaning they're yearning for life and hope and we just say who cares to each his own what's our relationship with God like remember the story of God in the bible God created us. He made us into his image. And yet we sinned against him and we separated ourselves from him. So then he came to this earth for us. He suffered and he died for us. This is the greatest story ever told. And yet when we hear it, we say, eh, I could take it or I could leave it. One thing's for sure though, I'm not going to let that story, God's story in the Bible, I'm not going to let that change. I'm not going to let that change me or affect my life. It's almost like so many times we put ourselves first and then we try to fit God into our lives rather than putting God first in our life and bending and aligning ourselves to his will and his kingdom. And this is all apathy. A study was done on teenagers and college students a few years ago Anytime I read these stories, it, uh, it makes me really depressed. And this is one of them. And here's what they found. They found that to, to most teenagers, God's role, God's activity in the world, is just to give us whatever we want, whenever we want it. He's not to interfere in your life, except to give you something, except to give you goods and services whenever you pray. You can almost picture God as a butler. It's like he's in the other room until you need him. And I hear this study, and and I think, well, that's a little extreme for anyone to actually verbalize that. And we may not use those words, but I think we can relate to that a little bit. We can think, you know, I do sometimes treat God a little bit like that. And I think this describes the apathy, apathy that many of us have in our own relationships with God. In the book of Revelation, we find that Jesus is speaking directly to seven churches that were around at that time. And he speaks to this one church, the church of Laodicea, and he, he criticizes them. He says, you guys are apathetic. He says, you guys are neither hot nor cold. Neither hot nor cold. Just Bland. Lukewarm. You know, fortunately, apathy can be overcome and it can be forgiven. It takes us realizing how much apathy we have in our lives and then confessing that apathy to God. And we can allow Him to forgive us and to heal us and remove our calloused and hardened hearts. And we can be given a passion and a renewed strength for God and his kingdom. Our eyes and our hearts are awakened whenever we spend time with God regularly. Our eyes and our hearts are in tune with God whenever we spend time with him regularly. Whenever we cut out time with God, whenever we minimize that, then we can lose focus and passion And instead, what we really need to do is we need to cut out the distractions. What are the things in life that are just sucking up our attention and distracting us from God? What are our distractions? See, Jesus experienced the wound of apathy for us. He experienced the wound of apathy for you and for me. And he suffered for us, starting in the garden and ending on the cross. It is finished. And he did this so that we may have eternal life and that we can be with God forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.